Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining Jews and others in Nebraska to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Potash in Omaha, and I'm joined with my co-host Liz Felstron in Jerusalem. Liz, how are you today? Hi, Alan. Doing well. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. We've got lots of fun things to talk about today. One I think is incredible, and that's the budget for 2021 and 2022 in Israel recently passed on Thursday and Friday. And I think there's some really interesting things to talk about uh, on that level. And then in addition to that, you and I spoke last week that you were going to kind of shop around, but not eat any, shop around for Sufganiyot for us to talk about today. So um, I'll let you start with giving me your take on the budget, but then I really want to jump in at some point with uh, the talk about Sufganiyot. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, it might be just us that thinks talking about the budget is as fun as talking about donuts, but hopefully we have some people that are willing to come along with us and uh, give us the benefit of the doubt for making the case for why the budget is also interesting. Um, So as you said, yes, Israel passed this budget. And while there are some real differences and sort of movement in terms of what, what this budget will do and how it's built, and we can talk about those things. Obviously, the major area of excitement with this budget is the fact that it's been passed after so long without a budget, right? Israel has gone three and a half years without successfully passing a budget, meaning that all of the government ministries and infrastructure have been working based upon a budget, which represents where the country was three years ago in terms of demographics, in terms of what needed to happen socially, that's pre-COVID. So um, so it, it wasn't right a fair reflection of where the country needed to be today. And it doesn't allow for, for any of those ministries or government offices to do new types of work that weren't covered in the previous budget. So for all of those reasons, it was so important and so exciting and you know, I think people are, well, the ones that supported it are relieved that this budget has passed. Um, there are absolutely those who didn't like this budget, right? It passed by a very small majority. Uh, as is typical, we're seeing of this government, people are continuing to vote along coalition and opposition lines. And we know that this government being created at all was on a very thin thread, Um but nonetheless, it was enough to pass the budget. Um, and I don't know if there are any sort of immediate topics that you've heard about or noticed in terms of how this budget's different or things that you want to talk about first. Well, I, I think for me, I tried to um, follow the streaming uh, hearings as well as the, the final voting. And I have to be honest, most of it was way over my head, all in complicated Hebrew um, and the actual budget itself is several hundred, I think close to six, 700 pages long. And um, and I was not able to download the full budget to look it over. But I was very excited by some of the optimism that the budget showed for uh, social issues in Israel, um, educational issues, um, high-tech issues, transportation issues. I mean, they really touched on quite a few things that the country has needed. 
Um, and I think from where I was sitting on the sidelines, there seemed to be, to your point, a great deal of enthusiasm for the budget and the excitement of it passing. But what I really look at in terms of this budget is the fact that it shows the support for the coalition, the Naftali Bennett, Yair Lapid coalition of the different parties, and that there seemed to be a little bit of something for everybody within the coalition, as well as the motivation for just improving the day-to-day lives of Israelis. Um, and I thought that was all very exciting. I, I think, though, for us, for us in America, it's important to see that this budget, even though it was a contentious um, discussion or battle between the opposition and the coalition, it passed, and it's for the betterment of the country. Yeah, so um, I think that's right. And you mentioned a lot of the major areas where this budget does have differences in terms of transportation and education and um, certain types of social benefits. There's a lot in there about um, easing regulations so that small and medium businesses can can grow so that Israel will be a country whose um, bureaucracy doesn't prevent it from being a country that others want to do business with. Um, there's some changes in agriculture. Um, right, some subsidies. For those of us, go ahead. No, some subsidies in agriculture in terms of the exporting and importing of goods and the local um, produce and stuff for Israelis that have been um, challenged lately. Right. So it's a combination of easing the rules for import and export, but also creating these stipends for Israeli farmers so that they are not, you know, priced out of the market when we also allow for this import and export. You know, it's obviously the work of government is to find the right combination of the two, right? Having competition, keeping prices lowered for consumers, but also having local businesses and farmers be able to be to be successful and keep their businesses alive. And, and we'll see, you know, if they've struck the right balance. But um, but it's definitely a change on that front. There were quite a lot of protests um, by uh, agricultural businesses around the country who are not happy about this change because it does, you know, it's more precarious for them. They don't know necessarily whether the fact that they have to compete uh, for business is going to be a good thing, even with the stipends. But uh, but that's one of the changes. The, the, the other change, I don't know if you can talk about it, is the, the regulations around cash fruit that uh, were also addressed in the budget. I, I think that uh, I've read a little too much into it. So if you have some insights into what that really looks like. The privatization of Kashrut, I think, is how it was referred to in the budget. Yeah, so the I think that that portion of the budget is actually less about Kashrut than about changing um, the, the level of bureaucracy in Israel in general. And that just happens to be one of the areas where it's happening. But it's part of a broader shift to try and have the whole system work more efficiently and without these multiple layers and levels of, um, of, of bureaucracy. There's really not a better word for it um, to allow things to happen. And that same sort of trend plays out in this budget in terms of even housing, right? We know that Israel has a huge housing shortage and 
there, this budget attempts to come at that problem from a lot of different angles. So not only um, building more houses and, and um, a goal of starting more new construction than in previous years, but also um, changing banking regulations so that it's easier for people to, to get loans and move into these homes, creating different avenues for um, previously commercial buildings to be changed into residential buildings, right? Like it's all this kind of interesting, um, relaxing in a certain sense of regulations to try and get at what is a major problem and any one solution probably isn't going to be enough to, to fix it. So in terms of the regulations, I also read where banking, that personal banking has changed a little bit that you can now have multiple bank accounts or change banks and banks are now required to list their fees on each one of the programs or transactions that are in place. And I didn't realize that banking was so rigid before, even though I, I did when I lived in Israel, I had my Bank Lumi account. Um, I didn't realize that there were so many regulations on having more than one uh, bank account or the fluidity of it. Yeah. So banking in Israel is very rigid and very complicated. And it stems in part from the fact that basically two main banks have a monopoly over that entire sector. Right. Um, this used to be the case with cell phone companies for many, many years until that monopoly was sort of broken and it rocked the whole market and cell phone prices went down drastically. And now you Americans can be very jealous because we have you know, cell phone plans with unlimited data and everything else. And I I mean, we're talking like $10 a month. I mean, the prices went from very high to very, very low. Um, and it has to do with that breaking of monopolies. And um, I don't know that it's going to be quite that drastic in the banking sector, but they're trying to shake things up in that same sort of way and create avenues for um, non-banking entities to offer even some of the services that traditionally only banks have been allowed to provide. That makes room for some like financial tech companies to come in and, and, it, and it creates a space in, in the Israeli financial sector for all these different types of vehicles and different types of businesses that until now hasn't been a possibility. So, so many things for us to talk about in terms of the budget, as you and I will kind of break it down over the next couple of days, we might be able to pull out some other things, but how's it get paid for? Uh, we have very high taxes in Israel, you know. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, well, you know, no. we have a value added tax on on all purchase in, in the, purchases in the country of 17%. Um, and so basically, so, so basically, you as the Israeli will see uh, a financial hit to your bottom line to cover some of these new and innovative parts of the budget. Mm, I'm not sure that it actually will be south. I mean, they're they're not talking about changing the percentage of that tax, right? That's been steady for for many years. Um, and people don't, you don't declare income taxes here as you do in the States, unless you're, um, self-employed, anybody who is, you know, uh, employed by a company, though the tax is taken out automatically throughout the year. And there is no 
like reckoning of annual income taxes the way you have in the U.S. Um, so I'm not sure who and to what extent people are going to feel it. The The budget isn't, um, it's not, you know, drastically larger than it has been in other years, right? We're talking about all these new things. It's a shifting of funds. Funds have shifted away from other areas that, um, that were, that were, I guess, slightly less priorities for this, uh, for this government. So that means that some areas of society will feel a difference based on the level of support they're not going to be receiving in the budget that they would have before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, it's hard to know exactly where those areas will be um, because the people who are sort of saying vocally who's going to be hurt by this budget are the people that didn't want to pass a budget at all. Um, but uh, but I think that there there is some thinking that this uh, budget maybe doesn't put as much emphasis on the geographic periphery as previous budgets did. Um, it has more of a, I don't want to say trickle down approach, but a theory that what's going to be good for for everyone is going to um, to be better for the country as a whole. And maybe we don't, it doesn't, this government doesn't, this budget doesn't feel the need to directly invest quite as much in some of the more peripheral areas. So again, it's one of these wait and see how it really impacts the country. And then the other thing that I learned is how does the budget get implemented? So all these changes are now there's a requirement for the changes to be implemented. Who's responsible for implementing? And then I would say, who's the watchdog to make sure that things get done properly? Are you asking because you know the answer? Because I'm not no. quite sure that I know exactly. <laughs> I, um, no, I think I'm, the question is not that um, I know the answer. I don't know the answer, but I do know that that's part of the challenge of any budget. So you put all this stuff out there and programmatically, how does it get accomplished? And then who measures the success of it? So we'll leave that as an open-ended question that um, we can explore in um, upcoming um, podcasts. So let's now move into something more fun. We talked about the heaviness of, of the budget, which I'm very much excited about because I think it, de- it shows the democratic process in Israel in a way that is uplifting. And we can talk about that later. But I really want to talk about the fluffiness and the uplifting of donuts. <laughs> I don't know why I have this fixation, Liz, on, on donuts, um, but I do. And um, I have a theory. Yeah. What's that theory? I think... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because you're, you know, you had had plans to travel here to Israel, and I think you were assuming that you were going to get to eat some sufganiyot, and it didn't work out. So you're vicariously feeling the need to talk about and read about donuts. Okay, <laughs> you you win. I think you're 100% right on that one. And I'd um, be doing the same thing if I were in your <laughs> shoes, so it's totally normal. So again, as we've talked about before in the early days, and again, as an American Jew moving and living in Israel, I I did not know anything about donuts or sufganiyot at Hanukkah time. I only knew about the Ashkenazi uh, delicacy of potato pancakes, latkes. And so I was thrilled. already perfect. So there's really not a lot, you know, what can you do? You can't take 
a perfect food and improve upon it, you know, latkes were done. So in Israel, we had to explore what could be done with donuts. And, and you have. And so I assigned you uh, an assignment or I gave you an assignment last week to go out and explore what is going on in the donut world in Israel, the Sufkani world in Israel. And you were successful because you told me at the beginning of our conversation that you did not sample any, you only looked at them. I am. Yeah. The sampling will come. It's going to happen. It's just hard to choose. There are so many choices out there. And I mean, even if I wanted to, I really don't think I could do one of each of the (laughs) (laughs) giant fancy offerings. I mean, we can just give people a sort of taste for the ears of, you know, what some of these uh, flavors and ingredients of Sufganiyot that I saw were. And maybe we'll have the opportunity even to share this uh, photograph of the 2021 Sufganiyot collection. So let's start Um, there. What do you mean by the 2021 Sufganiyot collection? Well, um, it's certainly not the only one, but one of the large national bakeries that's really into doing these sort of fancy high-class sufganiyot is the Roladin chain. And they have announced and are already selling their 2021 collection um, with the 12 types of sufganiyot that they're selling this year, which includes, of course, you know, a classic strawberry jelly and a classic butterscotch. Those are sort of the basics. You have to have those. Um, But then includes, you know, wildly unusual offerings like coconut banana with um, profiteroles and a salted caramel chaser. That's all one. Sufganiya, just to clarify everything I just said. Right? What, 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 is a, what, is, what is a chaser with a donut? What is a chaser? I'm so glad you asked. The chaser is um, like a, a little um, plastic silicone sort of uh, bulb that is inserted into the donut. And when you're ready, you can squeeze it and give the middle of your donut an extra liquidy flavor shot. So that's so like a syringe type of deal is going into the the donut. Yes, it's a little bit like a syringe. Yeah, but it's more like a bulb, like a like the little one they use for baby <laughs> mucus. You know what I'm talking about? That kind of rubber bulb. Oh, okay. Okay, um, that's a that's a that's a pretty graphic. That's not what's in these. <laughs> I haven't seen that flavor, but it's that mechanism as opposed to a, a syringe plunger type. Um, so yeah, so there's that one that has a chaser. There's the pistachio black currant, which is covered in, um, you know, pistachio glaze and amarana cherries and has a black currant chaser. Um, they're decorated with gorgeous golds and sparkly 
crinkly, crunchy things. I don't even know what they're called. Pearls of flavor. Um, they are very elegant. They're very decadent. Um, many different kinds of chocolate with Oreos and and uh, candy pecans. I, I have just discovered that they that they have an Instagram account for <laughs> Sufganiot. So we will give are that. Are the Sufganiot posting or are people yes. talking to them or what's no, no, going on? No, the they, they are. There are pictures of the Sufganiot on their Instagram page. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, a, I think you can gain weight just by looking at the pictures. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I would say that you're probably right about that. They are, you know, you're describing these in such a way that I don't know if, um, unless you're able to look at them to see what it is that you're describing, because they are incredible pastries to begin with. They're just not, you know, sp sprinkles of things on these donuts. There are all sorts of different things. Um, and I'm going to share the website in uh, when we post this, but some are very basic and then some are over the top. And the one that's interesting to me, and this they're is literally over the top, right? <laughs> like they start on this base of a fried dough, yep. you know, donut shape, and they just get very, very tall when you add all that whipped cream and decorations and fruit and whatnot. So it's kind of interesting as I look at the the web page with all of the different ones and you've described a couple of them very very well there's only one that has the title of it in english i don't know if you noticed that is that the royal the, 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 the royal, royal truffet yeah uh, and it is uh just a donut smothered in chocolate shavings so it says ganache of chocolate then it's uh um it's also some white chocolate um, and some chocolate with milk, milk chocolate. Milk chocolate. Mm -hmm. so, so if you're into chocolate, the, so this must be designed for America. <laughs> if you're into chocolate, that might be the one for you. Yeah, but but the ones that I find um, interesting are the ones that you described with the little um, device in there that um, is used to... The chaser, like, yeah. Yeah, the chaser. Um, so... There's one with an Oreo in it. It's called the vanilla uh, co cookie cream, cookie cream uh, with an Oreo on top. So again, I'm jealous. You're in Israel. You get to um, enjoy these. But I, I really believe. Yeah, I don't know which one I'm going to go for. I, the pistachio black currant. I have to say, I'm, I'm a sucker for a pistachio. I just, I like. Things the, that are green, I guess. I don't know. I is it do you think you're eating something healthy if it's green? For sure. Yes. <laughs> green is definitely healthier. Yeah, so, that's why I avoid foods that are blue. Because I think the blue is like a sign, that artificial blue, that it's not healthy. Yeah. But even artificial green, I think, is healthier because it's green. It's like natural. I think I like the one that's titled, I think I'm gonna pronounce this right. Piscotella caramel. So mm -hmm. I don't know what piscatella means. 
Um, I think it's, I guess, made out of like these biscuit cookies. Oh, oh, there you go. Thank you. It has little biscuit cookies underneath. You can't see in the thick layer of golden cream and chocolate, which is on top of it. But I'm pretty sure hiding underneath, there's um, broken pieces of butter cookies. Um, That's That's like a Heath bar. Candied pecan sauce. Yeah. Well, Liz, you've done a great job of um, pulling out a visual. I'm making uh, everybody drool. So I, I will post this site on our on um, the the link with the podcast this week. Um, I want to get back next week when we talk again to look more at the the topic that we talked about last week, which is Jewish identity in America or the diaspora and the impact on Israel. And almost every day I'm reading an article or two about somebody that's having having a challenge with their uh, Jewish identity and um, how they feel challenged when they talk about their support for Israel. So I think that it's, again, one of the topics that we want to address as a, as a podcast to help people understand, yes, there's a, an ongoing challenge of being Jewish in America and being a supporter of Israel, that what we talked about last week is you can be pro-Israel and pro-Palestinian at the same time, but you get caught up in this mixture of, of events or programs or ideologies in America where it says you can only be one way, not the other. And I think that um, I had an, I had a kind of an um, editorial comment that was kind of like a donut. Uh, we won't get into that this time. But maybe next week we can go yeah, into it. Yeah, I think, I think um, this topic of Jewish identity and the challenges of being able to feel fully comfortable and, and proud of one's Jewish identity in the United States today is sort of our, our serious topic, right? And that's why, that's why we wanted to do this podcast. And so it's what we're going to keep coming back to even when we get distracted by donuts and even when we feel like we need to revel in something that I am for us as, as individuals appeals to our wanting to enjoy and be proud of our Jewish slash Israeli identities. Uh, But yes, that, that will stay the, the backbone that we can keep coming back to. Any final words or comments today before we sign off? Just for everybody to, to stay healthy and um, and that we'll we'll speak again soon. Thank you, Liz, and thank you all for listening to Israel Rebound, and thank you for joining us.